Well, hello. I'll tell you, this Sunday was a great Sunday at my church. We had a picnic. Church picnics are a lot of fun. And ours was a little unique this year in that it was the day of a NFL game. And because our church is aware that the family that worships together is a stronger family, they made arrangements for that. So at the church picnic, we also had a big screen that was playing the NFL game. Now that was pretty cool. And it's a testament to how a church can really recognize the value of family because we all know there are some men and women who would have skipped the church picnic because their favorite team was playing. And yet it's a testament to the church and it's testament to society in general that you can have many, many people in a room, different ideas, different perspectives, different outlooks, and all can sit quietly, attentively, or they can mingle and fellowship together without any major disruptions. Now, there are non-believers who want you to believe that you're nothing more than an animal. If you had a bunch of herding animals, a bunch of sheep, it would be all right. You could bring sheep from several shepherds and they would hang out together. And when the various shepherds would call them, they would follow their shepherd and they would go home. But if you had a truly diverse group of animals in a space the size of, say, your church on Sunday morning, it might not fare so well because the predator animals, the pack animals even, would not tolerate being in such limited space with another pack. Pack animals like wolves, and you brought in three packs of wolves, fighting would ensue almost immediately. And of course, if you mixed pack animals with herd animals with just solitary animals, there would also be lots of trouble. (sighs) And yet humans have this ability to communicate and congregate and work together to create and be together, to be a society together. What happens when pieces of that don't work well together? That's what we're going to look at today. Adulting despite your upbringing. I'm Elaine Cross. Thanks for joining you. This is the Living Brightly podcast. A lot of people didn't have it great growing up. And yet we know that growing up is hard and raising children is hard. So how do we do that? How do we make adjustments for that if we had it too easy or we had it too hard or a little bit of both? What about if you're raising children and you're not happy where they're at and you're not sure how to address that? Or you're afraid to have kids because, you know, you were raised with not a great roadmap to follow to raise children. There were parts missing in your upbringing. How can we be adults together despite our upbringing? How do we get to that as adults? How does it start when we're children? And where are we at with our society as a whole? Are we adulting? Or are we a bunch of toddlers who are just mad we can't get our way? So what does it take to be an adult? We all enter adulthood with a unique story. Even if you lived with siblings, your story, your experience, your expression of those experiences and how they impacted you is unique to you. Children can grow up in the same home and one be completely confident and assure of themselves and the other be very anxious or reactionary in how they view other people in their life. 
And I think that speaks to the uniqueness of each one of us. But at some point, we all have to be an adult. And I think one of the key issues in society today is there's just not a lot of adults running around. There are plenty of people running around that are over 21, old enough to own a vehicle and drive a car and buy a house and all those adult behaviors. But their actions do not necessarily emulate being an adult. Eventually, we all have to kind of come to terms with the fact that our upbringing wasn't perfect. And it's easy to look at people with what we view as a better life, air quotes, and think that they had it easier or better. And yet we know scientifically and we know psychologically that a life devoid of struggle, this striving to make your place, the chick that doesn't hatch its own egg, If a farmer breaks the eggs, makes the eggs easier to open, the chicks have a very low survival rate and they have lost this ability to fight their way to freedom, to fight their way to their life just by getting out of the shell. (sighs) Are you in a shell that you need to break yourself out of? And with humans, it's not quite as evident because we don't come from an egg in a shell like a chicken or an alligator or a snake. We come from a sperm and an egg in our mother's womb and we're born a human. So these shells, these barriers that we encounter are more spiritual in nature than physical. And because we have these barriers that we must overcome, inevitably, there are people in our lives who will try to either make it harder (laughs) or make it too easy. Statistically, scientifically, experientially, there's all kinds of evidence that says the harder it is to break off those shells, the stronger the individual. I heard Jordan Peterson say that you can't really have peace unless you have known unrest. You have to experience unrest to really know what peace is, to really know what happiness is. If you have nothing to compare it to, how do you know you don't have it already? Because if we spend our whole time just comparing ourselves to everyone else, which is totally demoralizing and debilitating as an exercise. If you do that, you need to just stop right now and look at your life. And A, look at your life and see what advantages do you have because of the experiences you have experienced. I had a pretty rough... (laughs) I've had my experiences, let's put it that way. And I spent some time this week with my daughter and my grandchildren and watching them interact, watching my grandchildren interact with each other and my daughter interact with my grandchildren. It was so, it was just a wonderful, wonderful expression of how this world is supposed to work. Now, it's not always beautiful and it's not everybody's always happy. But there's a lot that can be done to mitigate those 
not so pretty times. There's discipline that must be applied. Children must learn to be good members of a society. And that first basic society is the home. And I've told my daughter, she's a better mother than I ever was. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. And I'm like, you don't understand. And I'm not going to describe it to you. <laughs> um, I have to admit, this is my bonus daughter. This is not my daughter that I gave birth to. The daughter that I gave birth to, I've literally told her, I'm sorry for how we raised you in our ignorance and our pain and poor, poor coping skills. We were a mess. I was a mess. And yet, by the grace of God, my kids are pretty great people. People I want to spend time with, people I want to know, people who teach me and inspire me and and push me to be a better me. And I cannot take a lot of credit for that, except for the fact that I admitted I did not know what I was doing. I did not have a great set of tools to work with. I was not in a great marriage, and it was a very negative environment to raise children in. And at a point I reached, I said, I've got to, I've got to change this because this is permanently impacting my children. So my first step in adulting wasn't getting married, wasn't buying a house, wasn't having children. It was admitting I am making a huge mess out of not only my own life, because if I didn't have children, I, I told friends, if I didn't have children, I would probably just stay. You know, I can tolerate this. I can handle this because I had so idolized the idea of marriage and so demonized the idea of divorce that I was willing to stay in this cage that I had helped create called a marriage that was completely destructive and completely bad for everybody involved and everybody watching us. I became very isolated and very separated from community and from people outside of the marriage, aside from the few people I could hang with at church, during church, (laughs) tolerate me out of their Christian benevolence. So I woke up one day, and it wasn't just a day, it was a process. But I woke up one day and I realized God had showed me that I was putting a gold seal of approval on how I was being treated and how men were to act in a marriage, how women were to act in a marriage. And we were calling this a Christian home, and it was not a happy place. I wasn't happy. I was incredibly hopeless. And that's a discussion all for itself. And I realized that I could continue doing what I was doing, or I would be brave and risk eternal damnation. I was really convinced that I had no right to get a divorce unless I could substantiate infidelity. And I had no proof of infidelity, but I did it anyway. I I said, okay, God, if you're going to abandon me and hate me forever and kick me out of your kingdom because I have to get out of this mess, I'm going to risk that because this is really bad. And it's It's bad for me, but it is deadly to my children. 
And that was the beginning of my healing journey to adulthood. And it was easy for other people to say, oh, it was all his fault. Well, he did this, he did that. And right away, I told people, no, the first thing I need to do is figure out why I thought it was okay. Because we were like two wolf packs, constantly fighting to decide who was more powerful, who was in charge, who was more spiritual. It was a constant competition. And I had well-meaning friends who's like, oh, just go find yourself a good man and get married and you'll be fine. (laughs) I'd go, no, I know the statistics. The statistics are against me. The statistics say that not only will I not find a good man, I'll probably find a worse man. And it'll be worse because there'll be no respect for my children because they're not his children. They would be the tagalongs to what a man really wants as a wife. And, you know, a wife with kids, well, you know, if you're a good man, that's okay. If you're not such a good man, the kids are not a good addition to the marriage. And I knew this. And I knew people that were in bad situations, abusive situations, destructive relationships, often got back into other destructive, bad relationships. And often they got increasingly worse, more violent, more destructive, more deadly. So when I told a friend that I would not even consider dating for at least two years because I needed to get my head straight, She thought I was loony. And I thought, I'll be lucky if I'm ready in two years. (laughs) But I had to admit to myself that my problems were not just his fault or my upbringing's fault or society's fault or anyone outside of me. I had a hand to play in the mess that my life was. So the first step to adulting When things are going wrong in your life, you need to pull out your driver's license, look at the picture, go, it's that guy's fault. And we know that that guy is you. That guy was me. And if I was going to ever expect anything better or different or comfortable or less exhausting, I needed to look at me and how I was approaching and handling and dealing with these relationships. And a few years into trying to figure that out, my daughter was very frustrated with me. She was angry and, you know, we were we were a pretty angry bunch. And we were very forthright with sharing our frustrations that other people were impressing upon us because, you know, it was your fault, not mine. And she was yelling at me one day and she said, I think in a fit of clarity, you're changing and I don't like it. Of course, my immediate response was, I'm not changing. (laughs) Uh, That's exactly what I was trying to do. And I knew how important it was for me, but I didn't realize how much my kids were being taken along for a ride in the process. Though I had tried to do what I could for them, I didn't know what they needed because I didn't know what I needed. And I didn't know how to do things differently. 
I had very few tools in my toolbox for interpersonal relationships and child rearing. And oh, I had read books and I had gone to seminars and, and different things. But my normal was so abnormal, I couldn't create normal from it. If you look in an art museum and you see these beautiful paintings, when you see a beautiful painting that looks exactly like a field with flowers and a house and a little garden area and, and fields ripe, getting ready to be harvested, and the horse and the buggy and whatever you might imagine in that picture, and you look almost as if you're looking at a picture, and you go, wow, that's really good. That looks exactly like, say it was your home, that looks exactly like the family farm. And then you go down the aisle and you, you go down another and, and it's a lot of little abstract swoops and curves and crisp lines and different mix of colors and abstract pieces stuck together in a disordered mosaic. And you look at it and you go, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. It's different. It doesn't look like anything. It may have been inspired by something by the artist, but it doesn't look like anything that you could identify. I wanted in my life, in my interpersonal skills, in my adulting, I wanted my life to look like that cute little farmhouse where everything's in its place and everything looks nice and clean and crisp and you can identify the form and the purpose and the place of everything. You can see the horse is leading the carriage and the carriage is doing its carrying whatever. I'm just going to take a break here and remind you that this is a value for value podcast. I gather this information, organize it, present it, add the artwork. I do all the work to present this information to you and I offer it to you freely. And I ask in return that you would partner with me for the value that I've given you, put a number to that value go to my website, elainecross.com, and help me produce this show. Producers back a project to make sure it gets completed. And I need producers to help support this show so I can keep providing it to you and to those around the world who don't yet know Jesus, those who don't yet have a relationship with God. So I'm asking you to share your value whatever it is, to help keep this light burning and so that others can learn to burn bright and we can transform this world by being a city on a hill, individually a lamp, together a city on a hill. So let's continue. I was living in this chaos of broken, twisted, mangled colors and shapes and pieces in what I was lacking was the ability to take those pieces and turn them into that beautiful imagery, that beautiful representation of a home. But through the work of God and through understanding what it takes to really adult, I was able to eventually create my own home. It was not without a lot of striving and working because in order to take the chaos and turn it into something ordered, you have, to, you have to burn off the chaff, the stuff that's useless and destructive. And that was the way I saw myself, the way I saw others, the way I saw myself in relation to others. So after learning that if I have a lot of problems in my life, 
probably should look at myself first. The next thing I had to do was look at not only myself, but I couldn't just condemn myself. I had to look at what I thought about myself. Our self-thoughts, our self-talk is vitally important in how we fit within society. Now, there's, there's two extremes. One is the arrogant, self-righteous, self-justifying person with a superior attitude that is too highly removed to gain any value from authentic community with average people. And then on the other extreme is the person who feels so little of themselves, believes they bring no value and no ingenuity and no creativity to their own life, let alone to the lives of those within their community. And those are the extremes. And we teeter between those two, but usually you bend one way or the other. You either bend toward your better than most other people in your life, or you bend toward your worse than most of the other people in your life. And that could be for an hour, could be for a day, could be for years. Most people feel less about themselves or view themselves as less than, than those who continually consistently think they're better than most people. But everyone can take either position at any time in their life. And adults, becoming an adult, you not only have to see the value in yourself, but you have to see the value in yourself connected to others. So when you feel too low about yourself, you see yourself as a drain, as you need other people to help sustain you and who you are. So the other people in your life view you as someone who is exhausting, needy, They want to help, but you know, how long can I help? How much can I keep doing for you until you start doing for yourself? And then, of course, on the other extreme, it's I don't need anybody. I can do it all myself. I am completely self sufficient. And you can see the fallacy in both ends because God made us to live in community. God made us to live with each other in a codependent kind of way. And codependency has a bad rap through the psychology professors because they couldn't come up with any other way to articulate why someone who is so dysfunctional in their self-care that they're abusive or neglective or depressive, and there's one person in their life who finds their full value in serving that person. But in that full service to that person, they end up making that person weaker and more dependent. So codependent in a negative is where you find that one or two people that will help reinforce those extremes on either end. The extremely arrogant person with a very worshipful spouse, or the extremely dependent person with little self-value or self-worth has someone who feeds into that in a way to maintain that dysfunctional relationship. And we are codependent, and yet codependency can go very, very wrong. My first husband and I were codependent in our destruction, and I didn't want to be codependent in destruction. I wanted to be codependent in building up, in augmenting each other, in digging up and pulling out the gold that each other had to offer. Well, that takes a lot of skill. 
to be able to need somebody for the things that you can't do. So you have to admit, "Ah, I can't do that. I can't do it well, or I can't do it at all, or I can do it, but I don't have the time or the skill, and it's going to take me a lot of time to do it, and I don't have the time to do it. And the reality that I have these skills, they're valuable skills. It's valuable knowledge. It's valuable to other people. And bringing those two things together, which is the beauty of community. It's the beauty of the church picnic, where you bring what you have to offer. You bring your best. You bring your best sacrifice of your skills and your talents and your drives and your wisdom and your knowledge and what you have to offer. And you lay it out there and you allow other people to say, hey, I don't have that and I need it. Can we work together a little bit? And you say, yeah. And then also go and find those other people who have and can do the things that you can't. For me, it was parenting. I'm not, you know, I don't know. I know enough and I know how it should be done. And I'm more confident now in my parenting skills than I ever was when I was parenting young children. But I'm a totally different person. My daughter was right. I was changing and I wanted to change and it was a good change. That's adulting. Adulting is finding people in your life who want to be better tomorrow than they are today. And they know that, A, when things are going really wrong in their life, especially if they're going really wrong in their life in one specific way over and over and over again, it's probably them, right? It's probably me that's causing this problem. I probably have something I need to learn here. There's probably some way I need to grow here so that I don't keep getting stuck here. But when you surround yourself with people who also want to be better tomorrow than they are today, they have to be at a place where they're not at either one of these extremes. Because if they're at one of these extremes of either being so self-sufficient and so self-assured that they can't take help, or if they're so deficient and so self-devaluing that they just want to suck the life out of everybody around them. Neither of them are really fun to be around. And what I noticed is I would swing from one extreme to the other. There were times when I was just so self-sufficient, I didn't need anybody. Well, that was a lie. I told myself, I told those around me, I told my children. And there were times when I was so desperately devalued and messed up in my thinking about my ability and my worth and my purpose that you have to come to terms with those extremes. And both are built on lies. And both are built from lies through fear. Fear is our enemy. Fear is a spirit. And fear is the opposite of love. You might think the opposite of love is anger or the opposite of love is hate. Well, maybe if you're thinking of love as just an emotion, but love is more than an emotion. Love is an object. Love is God. God is love. But love is an action. Love is patient. Love is forgiving. Love does not keep a record of wrong. Love is a choice. And perfect love casts out all fear. So if anger and love were opposite, perfect love would cast out anger. And yet Christ said, be angry, but sin not. You're going to get angry. Don't hurt other people in your anger. Figure out why you're angry. Confront it. Deal with it. But fear, fear is a sneaky little booger who hides behind and within and around emotion. You see, the person who holds himself up as someone who doesn't need anybody, 
is afraid of everybody because people have hurt them. People have misused them. People have taken and not given. The fear of being alone pushes them to push people away. Yes, I've been there. And the person who suffers from anxiety and, which is fear, but low self-worth, low value, no purpose in life, has almost succumbed to fear. And they hold to that idea that maybe there's something or someone who will love them. And their fear is fed in their own mind that they're unlovable. You can see where these two extremes are very similar. How they present themselves are very different. And any of us can display either of them. But the core is the fear. So after I realized I had a part in the mess that I'd made, and I had to look at my part in the mess, and I had to look at my part in how I was dealing with other people and how I was treating other people, I had to look at myself and go, wait a minute, how am I treating and looking and viewing myself? Am I lovable? Well, that was a very hard thing to come to terms with because there was a big part of me who thought that I wasn't and I couldn't. And I had been told that over and over and over again, that there was no value in me. There was no one else who was going to love me. People were unreachable because whether I was self-sufficient or self-loathing, people were a risk because people can hurt you and people can misuse you. People can speak bad about you. People can say things and do things. And what I realized was most of the things that were being said or done or implied or believed was in my head. Someone could say something that was true and not true in a way to attack, but I took it as an attack or I took it as an affront and I pushed people away and I got upset. I either got angry and arrogant or upset and self-loathing or I would be isolating myself on either end from anyone who just wasn't kind. And what I realized was when you adult, you have to hear what people are actually saying, not what they're not saying. Because yes, there were people in my life, in my past, that had said horrible things to me. But people in my present were not saying horrible things to me or about me. They were saying, do better. That's below your ability level. You can do better than that. If somebody said I was doing something that was subpar for my skill set, I thought they were attacking me personally. They were trying to mine the gold that was in me. And I felt like they were just beating me over the head with a hammer because they were beating me over the head with a hammer trying to get to the gold, and I thought they were trying to destroy me. Mining gold is not without work. Becoming an adult is not without work. And it took a lot to change the way I thought, change the way I feel, to let go of the old and grasp on to the truth, to take the things that I had heard people say and the things that people did to me in my life And the way that I knew how to work with people, which wasn't really working with people, and stop it and push it away and reject it and accept and embrace new ways to think about myself and think about others and think about how they were talking to me and interacting with me. And the whole world opened to me. And in the process the friends and the relationships and the companionships that I desperately, desperately wanted for all those years now comes much more easily because I'm not an arrogant snapping turtle over here and I'm not a drain and exhausting person over here. Just an average person. 
trying to do life a little better every day, trying to help you mine the gold in you and trying to let you help mine the gold in me. Being an adult is rough. It's hard work, but it's so fulfilling because once you can get beyond some of these learning processes that we all have to go through, it's a beautiful world out there, like the church picnic. And yeah, we can watch the game. And if you watch the game long enough, you watch the stands, people are going to get into a fight here, or kids are going to be screaming over there, or things happen. And sometimes those things happen because the people that are involved are broken and afraid, full of fear, reacting and living out of their fear. And they don't know any other way because they've been left to their own devices. Because most people have just been exhausted in trying to help them find the gold in themselves. Because you know what? First, I had to find the gold in myself. Then I could let other people help me. So during this summer of love and on social media and in the public square, there are so many two-year-olds in adult bodies who haven't quite figured out yet how to appreciate who they are as an individual how to appreciate the individualness of each one of us, and how to be part of the bigger community without being a pack animal, trying to divide and conquer and oppress everyone else. Do you struggle with lack of self-worth or self-value, not knowing that you have a purpose or a reason? Or do you struggle with pushing people away and demanding that you do things on your own? because you just can't trust other people or other people won't do it as good as you. I heard a Hindu, maybe, I'm not sure, on Instagram, and I'm going to play it. And I've edited it down a little bit. He talks about trust, and we need to be able to get to the point where we can trust. Trust is probably the pinnacle of adulting, where you've learned to identify the fact that, yeah, you may be the problem in your problem, and that you need others to share this life with. There's others who have something to offer you that you desperately need, and there's things that you have that other people desperately need. And by working together in that codependency, we can make this life a beautiful thing. And you can cast off fear in the process of accepting who God has created you to be. And it's not necessarily something that can just be talked about. It takes work. But to trust someone is to allow them to do it their way without feeling like they have injured you in any way. This is Antarga or something like that. You need to understand, trust does not mean somebody has to behave the way you expect them to behave. Trust means whatever they do, it's all right with you. Trust should empower people. Trust should not limit people. If you come to such a state, otherwise don't use such a big word as trust. They must do what you expect them to do. So your idea of trust is to hold them. This is a certain imprisonment you trust, because these things will create expectations which no human being can fulfill, and simply struggles will happen. If you really trust somebody, whatever they do, if you cannot, then you must see what to do. But do not bring in such words of trust. Trust should not become a way of capturing people. Trust should be a way of liberating people. When you trust in the way that he's describing, it's a lot like you would describe love. If you love something, set it free. If you trust someone to the point of 
caging them within your clearly defined and limited cage of how they can behave and how they can move within your presence. You're not loving them. This is the crux of God's free will. God gives us the freedom to choose him or reject him. He gives us the freedom like the prodigal son to make demands and to go live life the way we want to without concern for him, for our own well-being, for our own ability to be a good citizen within the community. Totally selfish, totally self-serving, totally on your own. And yet God is there waiting, watching for his son to return, for you to return. And he knows when you come, you've been through it. You've got this shell around you. You've got this cage that you need to work on breaking out of. And nobody can do it for you. And we need to remember that everyone is dealing with this kind of thing. We have to go, okay, we're in this shell. What do we do? Well, we got to get out. So the first thing we have to do is we have to fight for ourselves. We have to fight against fear. We have to fight against lies. We have to fight against what people have told us, what things have happened to us, the position we find ourselves in, and fight for the life that God has planned for you. And in the process, you know, you don't keep the shell. The chicken doesn't keep track of the egg it came out of. The snake doesn't keep track of the egg it came out of. The alligator doesn't keep track of the egg. They shed that thing. They drop it off. They leave it behind. You think about a snake. A snake not only discards the shell, but it discards its skin as it grows and develops. And that's what we have to do. We have to shed those old ways of thinking. We have to shed those lies that we've believed to be true because we've heard not what God is saying, not what our Father God is saying, but what others have said to us or what we think others have said about us. And we have to confront them and we have to deal with them and we have to, to get them out of our life and then move on. We have to embrace this idea that we live in a community together and that God has given each one of us specific gifts and talents and purposes and a place so that we all have something to help each other mine the gold in each one of us. And the perfect expression of that is love. And love casts out all fear. And love empowers trust because you can trust someone even if they don't do it like you want them to, even if they do it their own way, even if they abuse that trust. And sometimes that happens. But adults know that just because you abuse my trust, that doesn't impact who I am. That's an expression of where you're not yet. So my prayer for you and my prayer for this country is that we can all adult a little bit better, despite our upbringing, despite our experiences, despite our position and where we are right now. Because I'm telling you, I never imagined me being where I am today, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I had hope that I could be somewhere where I am, but I had no mental experience When I finally took control of my life and decided it was time to adult, it was time to look at my environment and say, this is not acceptable. I need something better. If only for my children, I need something better. The life I live today, in my mind back then, was a fantasy. 
only in fairy tales and storybooks, because I believed everybody lived some kind of life like the life I lived. And there are people in your life who feel the same way. And maybe you feel that way. And I'm telling you, you don't have to keep feeling that way. God helped me. God directed me. God led me. But you know what? God used other people in my life. God used churches. God used ministries. God used other people to help me shed that skin, shed that cage, reject those lies, confront that fear, and become a person more like the one God created me to be. And I'm going to say more like, because I'm not there yet. I'm still growing. I'm still developing. I'm still becoming a better person. It's a transformation that takes a lifetime. And I don't want you to give up. And I don't want you to give in. I want you to fight for it. Not with screaming and yelling and whatever. I'm talking about you as an individual. There are lots of things that need to happen for this society to write its course. And it starts with individuals like you, like me. Ask God what gold he wants to mine in you. What fear is holding you back? What lie are you believing? Take some time. Listen to some worship music. Read some scripture, whatever it takes to get you kind of settled and out of the world and, you know, your mind wandering with what's happening in your everyday life to where you can just focus on God and just say, God. And if you've never asked him a question before, just do it. But be in a quiet place, have a pen, have a piece of paper and say, you know, what lie am I believing? And then listen and write it down. He'll tell you. And he's going to start at the surface, right? You know, you dig a hole from the top down, you peel an onion from the outside in. He's going to start on the outside. He's going to work his way in as long as you continue to seek him. What fear is blocking me? What lie am I believing? What gold is hidden in me that I have forgotten or I don't know is there? What do you love about me? You ask him those three questions and he will answer. No, you won't necessarily hear an audible voice, but you'll know. You'll know. And you might reject it. I did. I didn't totally reject it, but it, it, it broke me. I just bawled. I cried because he told me he loved me. He told me I was his beloved. He told me that I was purposeful. I was purposefully put it here and brought to this earth, you know, that I was created purposely. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. Those were all things that were eating at me. And once I heard it from him, when I was in a moment of prayer and focus on him, it's like there was no, my enemy had no more ability to use that against me. Because when I heard it from my Heavenly Father, I wasn't just hearing it from some person. I was hearing it from the person who knit me together in my mother's womb. And it is powerful. Build your relationship with God. Build your adulting skills. Build your ability to connect with Father God. Connect with God and let Him use you to connect with others. Individually, one light can light a whole room. You go into a dark room and you light one candle, it'll radiate light to the whole room. And then if we're together, individually a lamp, together a city on a hill, we can light this whole world. Don't forget, go over to elainecross.com. You can partner and add some value to this podcast by putting a number on your value and making a uh, donation. 
you can ask a question at donation at elainecross.com. That's an email address. And I will try to respond to your questions. And you get show notes and everything there on the website. Thanks for joining me. Till next time. In the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or bridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. 2020, 2021, I think they called the summer of 2020 the summer of love. (laughs) It was not a summer of love. It was full of a lot of people trying to tell the government that they were grieved. They were deeply grieved over various issues. And there were instigators that were pushing and conflating the issue. And it was quite humorous. You can go back and watch videos of newscasters talking about these protests, these quote unquote, mostly peaceful protests, where you could watch buildings burning in the background. I don't know about you, but I don't consider burning buildings peaceful. It's just a little bit beyond the level. And there were people who called him out and said, that's just destructive. That's not a peaceful protest. In January, following the election, but prior to the seating of the new president, there was a protest in D.C. And some of the people there broke windows and climbed walls, did things that it's not really what I would call a peaceful assembly. And people condemned it and people called them out. Now, there were people on both sides of these situations that were peaceful. There were people in both situations that had a grievance they were trying to get heard. And there were other people that were stirring up a more violent solution or a more aggressive approach to getting their grievances heard. 